At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Podcast. I think it's the third day in a row. We've been, I've been trying to store them up a little bit uh, because my life apparently is about to be upended with the arrival of a kid. So I'm trying to make sure I'm covered for uh, when the hurricane hits. I reckon. Uh, we don't have uh, Kanan or, or Miss with uh, with me tonight, but I do have a guest. I've really been looking forward to talking to. I got David Graff. Um, well, I guess let's just jump right into it, David. I, I'm terrible about wasting time at the beginning of a podcast, uh, just talking about stuff that nobody cares about. <laughs> so we might as well just jump right into this here. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah. Well, first of all, then um, thanks for you know thanks for the invite. You you are the first uh, the first guy from out of the country I've ever had on the show, so I feel like uh, maybe a little milestone on our part. <laughs> but anyways, so you're a, you're a missionary. To Mexico, right? <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I mean, I'm down here. Um, I, I work in the, I, I shouldn't say work. I don't technically work in the country, but um, I come back to the U S to work and make money, but uh, we are down here. We are trying to help out and, you know, just uh, trying to help people and disciple when we can, where we can, and, you know, uh, just, just share the gospel. It's, it's, it's not a whole lot different really than, you know, hopefully it would, would go on and, uh, in America or anywhere else. I mean, we can all be missionaries wherever we're at, take the gospel to people, you know, regardless. So, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's got its challenges. It's uh, also got its rewards. I mean, we, we really love it down here. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think that's, uh, an area that I personally fail in a lot is, is just, I mean, we always think, you know, and this is a bit of an aside, but I live the Christian life in front of people and hopefully that's enough when really I, I feel like, man, there's so much more I need to be doing. So I really admire um, guys like yourself. So maybe we just start at the beginning of this thing. I, I know that uh, me and you've kind of bumped into each other before online uh, talking about uh, some CHM stuff and, and however far you want to go into that, I'll, I'll leave that up to you. But I know you've got some background with that. Um, but other than that, I don't think we've ever really crossed paths. So if yeah. You, if you want to, maybe just take us back to the beginning and maybe give us a little bit of this story here. Sure, sure. Yeah, I come from, you know, I grew up in the movement. 
Uh, I, I, well, I grew up in the movement. Um, I went to, I, I want to be careful here with names and stuff, but I, I went to four years of Bible college. Um, I have a degree. Um, I, you know, did quite well. Mm-hmm. Um, I pastored for seven years and, and I'm not saying all that to try to honk my horn here. Um, I, I'm saying this because, you know, since, since things kind of went awry with me and the movement, um, I've been asked several times by several people, you know, why don't you just go away? Uh, or as one <laughs> man put it, you know, leave us alone, basically. Um, because I, I do, I, I write, I write uh, online and, and I also run uh, a little page called Biblical Holiness where I try to, you know, keep some of the stuff so that it's all in one place. Um, but I, I told you kind of the back, my background is I, I come from the movement and that's important because a lot of times people in the movement, um, won't listen. I don't think to people outside the movement mm-hmm. on this topic. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, they're not going to, they're not going to listen to a Calvinist come in and tell them, Hey, that you got a problem here with this piece of doctrine, right? Because, well, they're just they just don't understand or they don't know. I, I under, and I say this, I try to say this humbly. I understand this stuff. Um, I have studied this stuff probably much more than the average um, person within the movement, maybe more than, you know, some other Bible students, somebody special in this regard, but I have tried to diligently study in, in this uh, topic, um, you know, try to study it. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's something that, I feel like I have something to say to the movement about it and that and haven't just gone away quietly because people, especially hopefully some young people, maybe in a, a Bible school or out there uh, somewhere who, who will listen and say, Hey, this, this isn't somebody that just came in and got upset. This is somebody who was very serious about this, took this very seriously and realized to the best of his understanding, this just wasn't a biblical doctrine. Um, so that's, that's kind of where I'm, why I'm telling you where I've come from, why, why I think it's important. Sure. Um, because it just, it just seems to be something that, you know, I've seen some people talk to other people about online. It's almost like they look down from an error of superiority, like, well, you know, your group uh, gave this doctrine up. So of course, you know, you just don't understand. It's not that way with me. I, I do understand this doctrine. I, I understand. It's not a matter of, you know, I'll have people reach out to me and try to tell me elementary things about it. I understand <laughs> I've written a number of the authors. Um, I've written quite a, probably more of Wesley than a lot of people again, but um, I'm not saying that's a brag. I'm just saying that to say that I I do come at this as someone who feels like not a know-it-all, but someone who feels like they, they know something about the subject and feel like what I have to say about it is, is um, so, yeah. Now, as far as the, the movement, I'm, I'm kind of struggling a little bit. I, we've called it the CHM for a while, mm-hmm. and I don't know. Did, did they call it that when you were growing up? No, I didn't hear it called that until, oh, man, probably just a few years ago. And I've even heard some of them kick back against that label. You know, well, we're not the CHM, you know, that kind of thing. So I don't – it was just kind of the holiness movement in general, yeah, okay. I think, when I was growing up. Right. Well, and I guess one of my problems with the 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 name is – um, there's some aspects of it that aren't that conservative, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, some places that would fall under that name that aren't that conservative. 
But my bigger problem with it is the, the word holiness, because I don't know how it was in your circles, but I feel like, you know, if, if you ask most churches, they would tell you they believe in some form of holiness. Yes. Uh, I was just reading something on Berean, uh, Berean Holiness's page, and, you know, they're referring to themselves as holiness, holiness churches. And I wouldn't have thought of them as holiness people. You know, I would have thought of them as, as Pentecostals, right? So uh, to me, what sets the movement apart is their emphasis on two works of grace. And that's why in, in some of my writing and some of my talking, I've moved more to referring to them as the two works movement, because I, I just feel like that is much more descriptive of what sets them apart from the rest of Christendom, um, as opposed to the, no, the notion of holiness. And I know there's, there's, I'm sure there's many who would say, oh, but you know, we have true holiness. Everything else is false holiness. The problem is if you talk to a, a Pentecostal, they, they would say, you you know, if you're not speaking in tongues, you don't have true holiness. So um, to me, what really sets the movement apart is more that emphasis on two works of grace. And that's really where I have kind of honed in my, you know, my talks with them and stuff is, is more on that very specific uh, piece. So kind of a, a niche market in the world of theology, maybe, but I do think it's it's something that's very, very important that the movement looks at and addresses. Um, and there are some people who are, you know, actively in the movement, I think, working on it. I don't want to say their names because, quite frankly, to have me in your corner is not necessarily a, a great badge. <laughs> but um, there are some positive things I feel that are happening in some parts of the movement. And I wouldn't want to uh, I don't want to, you know get in the way of that too much, I guess. I really like what you're saying, and, and I agree with you. I, I think it is important, and it does seem to be, you know, a, a very small segment of, of uh, Christianity that, that believes this way. You were talking about Berean holiness, and I had, uh, Natalie was on uh, a few months ago, and then we had a, like, a, I guess an acquaintance of hers, Don Van Zant. He was on, and both of them came from the Pentecostal uh, side of it. Uh, I think pretty much identical. And I think they were of the brand of like the ones that I would be, I'd be like in Walmart in a town that I've have lived in maybe for years. Uh, and I would see people that looked holiness and I'm like, why don't I know these people? And then I would notice like a small little difference or something, you know, of something I'm like, well, okay. All right. Well, obviously they're not the same brand, <laughs> but um, so I guess my question is to you, and I'm really curious about this because I'm still working through this myself as far as figuring out this whole uh, two works thing and all that, me and a buddy of mine, he's, he's with the uh, Allegheny movement, me and him uh, bounce ideas off each other all the time. So what was kind of your, um, uh, what was the thing with that you fell out with? Like what, what was your disagreement point on the, the two works theology? Yeah. So, I would I would go back in time a little bit on that to a time before I started pastoring. I was praying actually. I was having a time of prayer, and um, I, I you know like like all young people probably I, I faced some difficulties and you know and, and tried to work through them. And and but there came a point in my life where I was really struggling to know what is truth. You know, you hear all kinds of things preached. You'll hear, um, you know. One preacher will say you shouldn't have a beard. Uh, another preacher will get up wearing a beard. Um, and, 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 and I just picked that one out, but I could add many, 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 many more to that. Oh, yeah. And I, I really struggled with what is truth, what is false. Why would a good person get up and say something that's false? 
um, different things like that. And, and there were some things that just shook me to my core. And through all that, I, I reached this, um, this I'm going to call it like a crisis point almost, although I'm not referring to a second work of grace here. <laughs> but I reached this point where I was like, like, for a little while, I was like, do I even stay with you know, Christianity, with religion? Do I just walk away from it all? Mm-hmm. And, and through all that darkness, I came to a point where I said, God, I'm going to seek you for the truth. I'm going to seek your word. This Bible is my truth. This is what I'm going to be grounded in. I have to be grounded in something. I can't keep grounding myself in these ever-shifting opinions of men. And so that was kind of where this started. And then a, a long journey of seeking truth, of praying for truth, uh, you know, and, you know, seven years in pastoring, six years in whatever it was at the time, um, th- there were some things I heard preached that were just really, you know, disturbing to me. And I, I remember one night I came back to my room and I'm sitting on my bed just crying and I'm telling my wife, I says, you can't do this to people. I says, you can't play with their minds like this. And, you know, and, and part of that was just probably some sloppy preaching. Um, but, you know, I really started digging into to doctrinal things and digging into the word. And I started realizing that the, the, the notion of the two works movement just was not the, the, the two works doctrine just was demonstrably very unbiblical. Mm-hmm. And when I, when I say that, I don't want to, you know, go through every scripture with you here tonight, because this would probably be a, you know, a four hour podcast. But, you know, when you read a verse like old things pass away, all things become new. And then I'm like, but we're teaching that your nature, the most central part of your being is still this old man. How is that? How, how did God not think to mention, oh yeah, except your nature, right? Like everything is new except your nature. You're still, this, you're still this old, you still got the old man as preachers would preach back then, you know, or, or in, in my circles at least. Um, and so I was like, that just doesn't square with scripture. And so what I started doing is I started reading through portions of the Bible. Of course, you know, reading through, uh, I don't know if I read through the whole Bible again at that time. I've, I'd read through it numbers of times at this point in my life. But I started reading through like Acts with just one question, maybe like, what does it say about this, this sanctification? What do we see in Acts? And what I realized is one of the things that was a, a, a real, a real eye opener to me was, was when I got to the story of um, Cornelius and, and to this day, um, the, 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 the two works movement will hold up that Cornelius received a second work of grace. And I can, you know, I can show that that's, that's something that many of them will still hold up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'd always heard it preached that way that, you know, when Cornelius, when Peter came to Cornelius, he received a second definite work of grace. He was already a Christian and, you know, he just, he just needed to go on into holiness and that's what he did. Well, I was reading through there one day and I got to, it's not in the story of Cornelius. It's in, you got to go to the next chapter, Acts eleven fourteen, And I'm just reading through my Bible and I don't know what. But it's, it's Peter, and he's talking to all the believers, and they're like, Peter, why did you go in to, this, these, to all these Gentiles, right? And that's the other thing. Like, people try to make Cornelius out to be this great Christian. But the thing is, it wasn't just Cornelius. There was a lot of other people there with him, right? Sure. He's talking. So, so Peter, he's talking to this large group of Gentiles, backing up to, to when this happened. You, you read his message. Peter's message to Cornelius in this group was a clear gospel message. It wasn't no two works grace preacher would get up and preach this message for two weeks, two works of grace, what Peter's saying. 
it would not happen. You would not say what Peter said. And the last words of his sermon were, this was the last words of his sermon before the Holy Spirit fell. He said, all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. That was the punchline. And then the Holy Spirit fell on them. When Peter said that, forgiveness of sins. If you go to the next chapter, to chapter 11, now Peter's in front of the of the apostles and brethren, and he's explaining why why he went into Cornelius, why he talked to them. And he's telling the story. He's like, well, he's like, this is what Cornelius said to me. So this is, you know, Cornelius telling Peter, who's now telling the brethren, he says, he and he's he's not just that, he's saying what the angel said to him. This is what the angel said to Cornelius. He will bring you a message, that he being Peter, he will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. Okay, that's what it says. That's the word it uses is save. And you can argue with that all day long, but I'll I'll guarantee you this. I'll guarantee you this. If God had reached forward to the 21st century, grabbed a two works of grace preacher and said, I'm putting some wings on your back. I need you to fly down real quick and let Cornelius know what's about to happen to him when Peter gets there. There is no two works of grace preacher in his right mind who would have said to Cornelius, what you're about to hear is something that is going to help you get saved. You and your household are going to get saved when you hear this. They would not have said that. Nobody would say that. You you would get probably in big trouble for saying that. (laughs) And yet that is what, not a man, that is what the angel himself said to Cornelius. All right? And then if you go down to verse 18, when they, the brethren and the apostles, when they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God saying... So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. All right? They didn't say granted a second work of grace. Right, right. All right? We don't teach that when a person gets a second work of grace, that's when they get repentance. We don't teach that. And so, you know, that was, man, when I saw that, when I started studying that, and I was just like, because this, this is a cornerstone. Like, it, Cornelius had to get a second work of grace, or the doctrine pretty much falls apart as I see it. And that's why it's so adamantly taught that he did. And people will go to all kinds of lengths to prove that. But but this is what this is how I look at it. Okay, and this is where I come at it from when I'm posting. I'm not trying to, you know, I'd love to, but I'm not just trying to convince dyed-in-the-wool people who are just, I sure. mean, they've just made up, you're not going to, sure. uh, that's not who I'm trying to do. My question is, if I was before an impartial jury and I was presenting this case, what would they conclude, right? And I am confident nobody, Without a prior motive, without a prior reason to say it, nobody would read through Acts 10 and 11 carefully and conclude that this was a second work of grace, not as it's taught today in the two works movement. Um, so that for me, that was huge when I saw that. Um, and and I, I wrote a paper on this. I have lots of other scriptures that I, I look at. Um, and I, I know we, we, we don't have time probably to get into all that tonight, but you know, that was that was something that for me, when I saw that in scripture, I was just like, yeah, we have got this wrong. We have got this demonstrably, biblically wrong. And then I had to make a choice because, you know, I'm, I'm a pastor. I have a church. I have a family. Um, I have a job. And I know what's going to happen. Right. And so it's like, what do you do now? Because, you know, um, you know how like unquestionable this doctrine is like you don't you don't, you can question, you can talk about all kinds of things. You can let down all kinds of standards, but you don't get into it on this doctrine. If you're not, if you're, 
if you're smart. Maybe I just wasn't smart. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that, that's kind of what, you know, that's kind of where I was at with it all. And, you know, since I've started writing stuff, I've had people reach out to me. You know, maybe sometimes they're like, you know, yeah, I, I see the same problems. But, you know, people don't want to uh, go through it. They don't want to deal with it. They don't want to. You're so They right. don't want to face the music. I'm telling you. Yep. People who can otherwise be very nice suddenly aren't always so nice. Um, and that's hard. Yes, you're completely correct there. Man, um, really, it's a lot to chew on. And I agree so much with what you're saying. And like I say, I'm still trying to figure out what I believe with this. And I, and I was raised CHM from the very beginning. But a lot of what you're saying, just when it comes to, okay, if I, like the guy, one of the guys on Recovering Fundamentalist podcast, he talks about, he said, whatever glasses that you read the Bible through, you take those off and just read it for what it says, that's, that's when the questions to me start really arising. My, my whole split from this thing wasn't out of rebellion. It was, I've said it before, I've probably on a podcast, people's probably heard me say it a few times. To me, it's just a search for truth. What's true? And I want to, I want to know what the Bible says about something. Right. And uh, there's a lot of people, David, that are struggling with these same questions. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, you know, the, the, the problem is you can't ask these questions, right? Um, I, I have been told, you know, if, if, you, if you're questioning the second work of grace, basically, that means you don't have it, right? Mm -hmm. So as soon as you question it, well, then you're out, basically. You're, you need to be at the altar seeking at that point. If you, if you ask an honest question about it. Now, maybe there's some room given to young people or in school or something, you know. Um, I did have some people in school who allowed me to ask questions without, you know, too much trouble. Um, but, you know, there's just, I had a situation a while back where there was a meeting of minds within the movement. And I said, hey, I want to come, right? I want to I be there because I want to talk about this, right? I'm very interested in, you know, participating. Right. And they said, sure, yeah, come, you know, fill out this, this, this packet. And, and to come, you basically had to pledge allegiance to the Two Works Doctrine. Oh, that's crazy. And I'm like, I can't do that. No, I said, that's I, baloney. I, you know, I mean, it's pretty obvious. It's pretty obvious I disagree, right? And so I'm like, you know, to me, it was like, and I came up with this little parable. I said, it's like, imagine if you had this, this group of people who they called themselves the, the red means go, green means stop. And that was their mantra. And they sat around and they talked about it and they had meetings and they pushed it and they held up signs. And I said, the only problem was their people kept getting killed at intersections because, you know, that's, that's what they taught people was red means go and you know, green means stop. And I said, you know, they, they, they had workshops to try to fix it and they brought in professionals to try to, to help them. But the, the one thing you had to do to come in is you had to agree to the mantra that red means go and green means stop. Otherwise you couldn't talk to them. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, it, it's just, you can't solve problems like this if you're not willing to put everything on the table and look at it. This is a major problem in the movement. It has serious ramifications. There's many people constantly casting away their confidence. I was one of them. Many people constantly going back. Am I sanctified? Am I really sanctified? Did, is there something else? Is there more, you know, self or something? I need, did, didn't I die? I thought I died. What, what's going on here? And they're back at the altar. Every revival, every other revival, there's serious ramifications of, on this to people's spiritual health and well-being and peace with God. And, but, but if we just say, well, we can't talk about this, like, yeah, you, you can, you know, you can, you can come in. And I was even told, you know, and I'm not, you know, they got to do whatever they feel is right. I'm not, I'm not trying to just be bitter about it, but 
Sure. You know, they, well, you can come. You just can't participate then. <laughs> what, what do you do? I mean, you know, I, I, I'm not just going to come and just sit there unless I can, you know, like, no. So, you know, if you if you're not willing to actually make a safe space for people to talk about this, you know, I, someone will say something like, oh, you know, it's just it's just wonderful being in this camp meeting or, or, you know, at this convention or in this church where everybody agrees on two works of grace. Of course they do. They'll get thrown out if they don't. Right. You know? Absolutely right. I mean, we need to open our eyes here and look at some of this. stuff. So, you know, in, in getting back to what you're saying, the search for truth. One of the things that's been helpful to me in the search for truth, if you look at Proverbs 18, 17, it says, and I'm going to read the NIV here. It says, in a lawsuit, the first to speak seems right until someone comes forward and cross-examines. Yes. Okay. Uh, we've just come through the, the Amber Heard, Johnny Depp case. There was some incredible cross-examination there that was done. Um, you know, it's, it's easy to, to write something. It's easy to say you believe something. It's easy to get up and preach a sermon about something. It's a completely different story when you are on the record publicly being cross-examined for that. It's completely different in that moment. Absolutely. Because then things start to come to light. So what I do a lot of times, if I have a question about something, you know, what, what about the Seventh-day Adventists? What about, um, you know, what about the, this, this Pentecostal? What about the, I, go and I want to see both sides pressure testing each other. I want to see the brightest and best from both sides discussing this like adults. You try to find a debate anywhere where the two works of grace movement comes forward and defends this under cross-examination. You show me one. I'd love to see it. Because I looked for them. Back in the day, I looked trying to find one. And I'm not aware of one. There'll be people that'll come on and they'll talk about it. But as far as like sitting down and actually being cross-examined on the belief, people don't want to do it. And I've offered numbers of people. And not just uh, not just Joe Q Public that I randomly pick, but like right. people with you know well-known names and uh, positions that I've offered. Like, And it's not because I'm anybody. I'm nobody. It's not because I'm smart. It's not because I'm a good debater. I... I Honestly, don't really know that I want to do it, but, but I think it needs done. I think people, but I think what happens is at the end of the day, a lot of them look at it and they go, you know what, we're going to lose more people over this than we're going to gain. And, you know, they, you, you don't want your name tied to that in the movement that you were the one that, you know, went into this debate and, you know, um, the movement lost a bunch of people over it. I don't know. I don't, I can't, I can't totally guess at all their motives. Um, I just know I've never seen it done. I've heard that maybe it happened, you know, way back when, um, but I have personally never been able to find one. Maybe there's one out there somewhere. So somebody can send it to me if you find it. <laughs> well, to me, David, uh, that's how I find out if my opinions, my viewpoints on something can stand up. I, I like to put it, like for the longest time, I was just talking to a guy at um, work today about this. For the longest time, I was afraid to listen to an, an intellectual atheist like a Richard Dawkins or something like that, because I thought, what if he says something that I can't yes. handle? And that used to gnaw on me. It gnawed on me for a long time until finally one day I was like, you know what? Whatever happens, I've got to, like to use your word, I've got to do this pressure test. I've got to find out if my faith can stand up to this. And you know what? I came away from it a stronger Christian. They didn't, they didn't change my mind, but I heard their side. And I feel like even with politics, it's the same way. I like to hear, I, I love talking to people I disagree with because I'm either going to find out that I'm correct, that my argument is stronger than theirs, 
or I'm going to find out, uh, okay, I, maybe I'm wrong and I need to go back and do more research or either way, I'm going to do more research and find out, okay, um, maybe what they were telling me wasn't correct or, you know, maybe I am wrong on this. And to me, that's how I formulate strong opinions is by doing this, uh, doing this back and forth in this debate. Why is that, that this movement is, uh, they discourage it. I've heard all my life. You better be careful who you're reading, and uh, you better be careful who you're listening to, and um, all these guys putting forth these crazy ideas and stuff. To me, it's like, I want to hear them. Let me hear the crazy right. ideas. Yeah, I, I do think there's a place for caution there, uh, especially thinking of children, right? Like, sure, you don't want to put a child who doesn't know how to reason through things in a situation, um, you know, that that you know, they could formulate some bad opinions because they don't have the full, they're not mature enough maybe to really reason through some of this stuff. Um, that's why this whole nonsense of, you know, um, taking kids and, you know, at young ages to decide what gender they are. I mean, come right, on, right. You know, kids, kids are still working through so many other things at that time in their life. They're not, you know, and, but, but what I'm talking about here are adults. I'm talking about people who you know, they're, they're finishing up their, their college. They're going to college to go out and they're going to be taking a church and pastoring here yes. in a little bit. Right. I know. And why aren't we, you know, I, I put up a book here just the other day. I put up a book here um, to, to, to my page. You know, it, it frustrates me because when I first came out with this, I, I took some heat and people were like, you know, you're, you're starting new religions or you're bringing in things that, you know, who said this kind of, you know, this is, if it's new, it's false and all this stuff. And now I'm finding writers from the 1800s, early 1900s, late 1800s, who, who already wrote way better on this than I can write, maybe even. And, you know, granted, they wrote 300 page books on it, but or whatever. But, you know, th- th- these were well thought out arguments. And what's fascinating to me is they made the same arguments I made a lot of times. It's you know, a friend of mine said, it's almost like we read the same Bible or something. So, <laughs> but I, it's like, why, why aren't those books being put into our students' hands in college saying, Hey, you need to read this. You're going to encounter this. This is something you need to be prepared to deal with. Right. I'm not saying you have to agree with me at the end of the day, right. but at least give people both sides of the story here and say, by the way, this Jane Mudge, uh, this books here about this and, you know, they, they bring up some points you're probably going to run into out there in the ministry, you know? So either these students never had those and that's why they think I'm bringing new religions in or, or maybe some of them do know about it. Maybe some of the, you know, teachers do know about these books and they're purposely keeping them from students. I don't know, but I'm just saying like, you know, these guys are mature enough, advanced enough to be going out to take a a church. Um, If they run into this thoughts later, and wind up leaving the movement over it, it's probably going to hurt your movement a lot more than if you'd have just, you know, give them this stuff at the front end and say, hey, these are other opinions on it. You need to know about them. You need to be prepared to answer them. But I, I think really, I think a lot of the problem is there's just no good answer. I'm not saying there's not answers. I'm not saying you can't come up with stuff, but there's not good answers where a logical person would weigh out the evidence and say, oh yeah, yeah, there's you know, sanctification comes through and only through a second and only through a second definite work of grace. I don't think there's evidence for that. Um, but, you know, you should at least present people with that. I think, I think you should at least, um, at least, at least let them know. <laughs> right. One of the things I, I saw as a kid when I was a young person, because um, I, I was in the movement up till uh, probably mid twenties. And I was already starting to really question a lot of it at that point, but 
to me, it was the plan of salvation is very clearly spelled out in Scripture. Then when somebody would try, and I still have conversations with people about this, because I'm, I'm still open-minded to it, you know, as far as if, if somebody can give me good evidence for it, I want to hear it. But to me, it becomes like this whole, it turns into a really weird equation. It's like, see, there's this here, and then you go to this verse, and you go to that verse, and this one here, and, you know, you turn around five times. <laughs> it's like, dude, I'm sorry, I can't follow you. I don't see it saying what you're trying to make me believe that it says. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I know I know exactly what you're saying because basically what you do is you skip around on all these different proof texts. Like, okay, now turn over here. Um, yeah, no. And, and what's is, you know, here's Cornelius, right? He's he's sitting here, and yet we're to believe. I don't know how many camp meetings you've been in. I don't know how many revivals you've been to. But if you've ever watched people struggle to get a second work of grace, right? Um some people, genuine, good, honest Christians struggling very hard for years and years, trying to get clear on a, a second definite work of grace. You watch that. And yet here's Cornelius. It just happens to him, right? Mm -hmm. Without him seemingly doing anything we're supposed to believe. Um, yeah, it just, what you're saying is exactly right. The messages I was hearing preached from our pulpits, I'm like, maybe you could massage scriptures around to somehow, but Bible presenting what you're saying from that pulpit, right? And that comes back to the whole, there's not a whole, there's not a two works preacher out there who would have told Cornelius, what's about to happen to you, Cornelius? You're about to get saved. They would not, would not, not, not have said that to him. Let me present this one to you because this is one I've struggled with in the past. And it's one that me and me and my uh, friend from the Allegheny conference has talked about different times and and even me and Canaan, me and Canaan's had a lot of these same conversations together a hang up for me at times and i, I understand that people's personal experience cannot um dictate to me what's true because if that's the case you know we could joseph smith said he had a weird personal experience so but anyways my question is i've been around a lot of what i thought were really good christian people people I had the utmost confidence in. And they flat out defend this, this second work. That can be kind of hard to reconcile in my mind at times. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's the, you know, basically um, the experiential side of things. Um, so, you know, if, if you can get enough people to, you know, claim something happened, then that makes it, you know, it's demonstrably true, right? Because because there's been so much of it. Um, I, I guess the problems I have with that is I am, you know, <laughs> I think this is a, a a big a bit of a phenomenon for us right now that we never had before, and it is this: we live in a day and age where you can see so much, right? You can see so much. Yes. Like it used to be, you went to your church. And maybe they warned you not to go to any other church, so you didn't. So all you saw, your only point of reference was your church and what you saw around, okay? I can go, and, and I say this carefully, I say this respectfully. I can go, and I did just the other day, online, and I can look up Pentecostal services. Look them up on YouTube sometime, okay? You cannot convince me that those people in those videos aren't experiencing something. You can't convince me they aren't. Yeah, good points. They're experiencing something. Um, 
if, if you're willing to do and go to some of the links they're willing to go to, they're experiencing something. I don't doubt that. And, and by the way, I don't think it's all just, just, I don't think it's just a bunch of evil people either. I don't, I think there's some incredibly, you know, when, when, when uh, I, I watched that one video the other day of, of that Pentecostal, uh, that, that preacher going after beards. And I look across that audience and I look at those young people, thousands of people in that building. I think there's some incredibly, incredibly sincere souls there that are doing their absolute best to serve God. I genuinely believe that. I genuinely believe that. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of what it comes down to is how we interpret our experiences, right? And what you'll, what you'll run into is there's a vast, there's a very broad spectrum of how people interpret their experience. Um, You know, here's the thing. You just read some of the testimonies of people who had this, and there's no question in my mind they had backslidden. They had backslidden. If they'd ever been saved at all, they had backslidden. You just read their testimony, and that's not me making something up. Many, many, many two works of grace preachers will tell you that a lot of people who claim a second work just got saved. That is something they will say from the pulpit. That's not me making that up. Right. I think that's the case sometimes. People literally just got clear with God on something that they'd been holding out from Him. You know, you can't tell me. You're having a great relationship with God. Well, you're willfully holding something back from him. Sure. And I don't doubt when you surrender that thing to him, whatever it is, and you get clear with God, that's going to be an experience. You're going you're gonna to feel relief. You're going to feel peace, joy, and, and overflowing in your soul, right? The, the problem is then people think that's it. People think, oh, good. And then next year, something else comes up that God puts his finger on. And they're like, wait a minute. The preacher said every bit of this was gone, and I thought I got this experience. <laughs> yep. And so they 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 go back down to the altar, and you know they they get another blessing. God helps them, and they they get that thing taken care of. And so now they're now they're in a quandary. Was that the second experience? Was the previous experience my second experience? I mean, I've heard all. There's all kinds of stuff on this. I had one person go on one of my threads and say, David, since I got a second my second my second work of grace. I have never felt tempted since then. I've never felt tempted to do anything wrong. Mm, now, what do you say to somebody? If that's their experience, I mean, great. I mean, I'm happy for you. Yeah. I mean, I, wonderful. Yeah. If you're not tempted, I'm not, I'm not going to stand here and tell you, well, go, go do something bad if you can get tempted. I mean, no, I mean, I just told them nicely. I said, hey, you know, I said, if you ever do feel temptation, don't throw away what God did for you. Right. You know, don't, don't, don't throw things away because you do feel temptation. Um, so that, that's the hard thing with experience. When we start, and this is what is, happens, we make our doctrine out of our experience, okay? I don't, you know, I don't really even have so much a problem. If somebody wants to claim a second work of grace, I might talk to them about it and try to, you know, work through what actually happened with them to make sure they don't trip up down the road. Um, but I don't have a problem with that. My problem is more when we become censorious of those who, or when we start, I might have just made up a word there. When we start <laughs> censoring people who don't see it that way, <laughs> But when we start saying, hey, you got to go, if you don't, if you're not going to say that this happens in a second and only in a second, definite work of grace, you got to go. Um, to me, that's that's where we've crossed the line. That's where we've crossed the line. And um, that's where, unfortunately, I think a lot of the movement's at. Um, so, you know, that's that's kind of where that's kind of how I look at it. Um, I've you know, I've I've read different analysis of why people experience the things they do. And that's just kind of, that's, that's where I come at it from. But again, for me, it comes back to what does the Bible say? Because at the end of the day, I want to make sure I'm living in accordance with this book. I agree 100%. And 
it, it can be hard, especially when it's people you do have confidence in. But like you said, at the end of the day, it's got to come back to what, what's the book say? We either base it on that or, or what are we actually basing it on? I want to ask you about this as well. And I didn't even really mean for this to be as uh, deep into this topic as it is, but since it's headed this way, <laughs> I'm getting a lot of good information here. And I know there's, like I said, there's other people that listen that have these same questions. How do you then look at the Christian perfection thing that's that's preached? And, you know, if you ever do, because it's always kind of, uh, people almost are afraid to admit to any kind of shortcoming that they have. And, and even in some ways, then ask for help with it, you know, as far as whether that be accountability right. with, uh, you know, a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ, whatever that is. It's just presented as, oh, no, you never sin. And I've even heard it maybe worded different, too. It's like, you, you'll mess, you'll have mistakes. And I'm like, are those mistakes or are those sins or what do we? So <laughs> I guess my question to you yeah. is, how do you, how do you view all that? So this is this is one of the big problems, and I, I probably use that phrase over and over, but there's there's several. But this is one of the big problems with the movement, because what what you'll run into is basically this, and I, I'm just going to pull one illustration. So the preacher's up there and he's saying, "You're saved, great, all right." And I, I heard this preach. I don't know who said it, but he's like, "But you still need to get a second work of grace." And I'm going to say it that way because that's what it is, right? That's that's going to be my interpretation. Of what he's saying. Sure. He's like, it's like you're out there on the battlefield, and yeah, you're saved. But it's like you're crawling across that field, and he's like, you got dynamite in your backpack on the back. And he's like, if you keep crawling with that dynamite, he's like, a sniper's going to hit your bag, and there's going to be nothing left but a crater in the ground where you were. Right. And that's what this thing's going to do to you. It's going to destroy you, right? Yep. And and that is that's the approach that's taken. So what do you get from that, right? Well, just get this backpack off your back, and you'll never fall. I mean, that's that. Basically, it's taught. You either get you either get a second definite work of grace, or you're just eventually. I mean, you don't have to because we're not Calvinists, but eventually you're, you're going to fall back into sin. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of how it's that's kind of how it's put out there to people. Um, I, first of all, I, I don't think that I don't think that's biblical. Here's what you do, and I've asked this question to numbers of people. Ask any any two works of grace preacher. Ask them this question. Go up to them. Just say, Hey, I want I want your opinion on this. What's the difference? All right. What is the difference between somebody who's being tempted before they've got a second work of grace and after they've got a second grace? And you'll probably get some line about, well, you know, before when you're tempted, there'll they'll be this thing that rises up within you and agrees with the temptation. That's probably you'll hear something like that told you. So, be like, OK, so, you know, tell me more. Like, what does that look like? Like in real life, what's an example of that? Because the problem is if. There was nothing left in us that agreed to temptation. We would not be tempted. It's just that simple. Right. I had a. I worked with a alongside a very, very ultra uh, conservative uh, preacher for a while, and and he told me this. He said, Dave. He said, for temptation to be temptation, it has to be tempting. Otherwise, it's just an inconvenient thought or idea, and that is so incredibly true, and that is so incredibly important. And yet in a roundabout way, we're telling people that temptation is going to be less or it's not going to push you over the edge, but nobody can tell you the difference. I've asked this question numbers of time and I've never had what I felt was a satisf maybe I'm just biased, but I've never had what I felt was a very satisfactory answer to mm -hmm. it. What is the difference, right? Because most, most preachers will tell you, oh yeah, you'll, you'll still be tempted. But why? Why would you still be tempted? Right. It doesn't make because, sense. You know. 
Right. It doesn't add up. It doesn't add up. Well, it's because, you know, your, your natural humanity will, will, you know, you'll see that woman, you know, jogging on the bridge and, and you know, your natural humanity will want to look. Okay. So what's the difference between that and my carnality wanting to look? What's the difference? Well, there's a difference. You just, and, and I've literally had them say, you know, God just has to show you. So you have to have some sort of divine revelation because if you're sitting there in the service, right, and the preacher's saying, you need to get rid of this, you need a second work of grace so that you're not, you know, so that you don't fall into sin. You know, you 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 saw that woman and you wanted to look, you need to be down here and get this second work. If you're sitting there and you're trying to say, now, which was it? Was it just my human temptation right. or did something rise up in me that wanted that? What on earth is the difference? Nobody. I almost guarantee you, I have not been able to find anybody. Nobody can tell you the difference because for temptation to be temptation it has to be tempting. End of story, right? 100%. Otherwise, we're talking about something completely different. I mean, that's that's completely on point. I there's a an ex CHM pastor that I've talked to occasionally, and I asked him this question as well because I, when it's preached as such this as this major thing, you know, and, and they use the the verses used a lot. Without holiness, no man shall see the Lord, and they. Then interpret holiness by meaning, you know, you obtain the second work. Uh, when when you grow up with that and that's ingrained in you, it's not something I wanted to just uh, uh, shed lightly. And so I've this has been a years long search uh, of trying to figure this out. And, and I asked him about it, and he basically said the same thing. He's like, "Look, we're we are human. That doesn't just leave you." And he's he's phrased it kind of like he said, "With a second, third, fifth, tenth work, whatever you want to call it." He's like, "That's." You're human. You're still going to be tempted, and he agreed with you. He said, "Otherwise, if this nature or whatever it is that they that they want to call it is gone, then there would be no temptation." Right. So then you have to ask yourself, what is the difference, though? Right. What is the difference between a temptation from this nature and a temptation from my human nature? That's the question that needs answered. Because if you're sitting there trying to figure out if what you got last year was real or not. You need to know how to divide. You need to know how to parse this, right? Where is this coming from? Is this coming from within or is this coming from without? All right. Is this my human nature? Is this my carnal nature? Which is it? You need a way to tell people which it is. And I'm telling you, in my experience, they do not know. They do not know. And, you know, to me, that was something that when I realized that too, I was like, wow, this, this is, you know, this is incredible. <laughs> Absolutely. And also, I, when I read Romans chapter 7 and read Paul's description of himself, it's, it's kind of hard to reconcile that with what I have heard preached in the CHM. You know, and I've heard, uh, I've heard people say, um, well, that was Paul. He was describing his former self. And I'm like, well, that's kind of an interesting way to describe your former self by saying, I am, you know. I am having these struggles, you know, and he would say, you know, the things I want to do, I, I don't do them. And the things I don't want to do, I do them, you know, and he's talking about this battle with his, uh, with his flesh. So to me, I just kind of have settled down on the side that, hey, temptation is just something we got to deal with. We got to try our best every day and just keep working at it. Yeah. I mean, temptation, and I, here's the thing too, with maturity, I think temptation lessens. I agree. Okay. So I think every time you say, let's say that you were, you know, addicted to cigarettes, I think every time you say no to the flesh, no to that desire, 
you strengthen your resolve, mm-hmm. right? Every time you say yes, you weaken your resolve. Okay. So, you know, yeah, sure. I mean, maybe, uh, you know, uh, a 90 year old Christian could get up and say, boy, I just, there's hardly anything left in the world that tempts me. That's, that's very possible. And that's wonderful. Right. But I would say that's more from maturing than any specific work of grace. I agree. That being said, let's say you had something that you just, you just, um, I, I, I want to be careful what examples I use here, but, uh, an addiction that you just struggled with mm-hmm. and you just, you know, you finally gave that thing to the Lord and you're like, God, you have got to help me with this. I am done with this. I'm not saying, you know, we've all heard the story of the, the, of the drunk that gets saved and says, I never had another desire for alcohol after that. Right. That's totally possible. I'm not ruling that out. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I, I'm not making light of that. I think it's wonderful when it happens, but I don't think we can say it's a hard, fast rule for all people everywhere that that's the way it's going to be for them. Right. I, sure. I, I just I don't think we can say that because I think there's too many, um, too many biblical and too many other examples where we can say, hey, this good person like Jesus was actually tempted to do something that would not have been right. You know, the, the thing is, here, here's the thing the, the the movement is in a situation it's never been in before historically. All right. It used to be you went to your church and I think that was about it. Right. Maybe. Yes. At least that's my understanding. OK. Maybe every once in a while you went over for a Christmas program somewhere else, but you went to your church. Now we live in a day and age where people can get on the Internet and they can critique a sermon. They can say something publicly um, that can get seen thousands of times by thousands of people, if not more. And so the, the movement, I think, you know, it used to be this thing where, you know, people just, you know, if they disagree, they just went away. And, you know, you didn't hear from them anymore. You know, they, they moved to another town or whatever. But now we're in a situation where we can keep we can keep up with each other and we can say, hey, look, um, Dave, you know, he didn't leave because he wanted purple hair. He actually had a problem with the doctrine and he's saying this is what the problem is. You know, I don't think you had that before. And I I don't think that's just with our movement. I think that's going to hit all movements where they're going to need to take a good hard look at some of this stuff and start saying, is this biblical or not? What to what degree are we willing to hang on to something that's demonstrably not biblical? Um, and what effect is that going to have on us in the long term and on our young people? And, you know, I really hope some young people, some college students listen to this and say, you know what? I need to ask some questions. There's some problems here. I will warn you. I will warn you. The movement is not at all um, probably all going to treat you that nicely. Um, some people will. There's some, you know, there's some just wonderful people. Um, I know some just tremendous people. I have a lot of friends in the, in the movement. I really do. And there's a, a young couple that has just been incredibly gracious to us and very kind. But there's other people who will be very unkind to you. They, and, and, and I don't know that they're always meaning to be. I should be careful saying unkind. Um, they'll say very harsh things to you. And I think, sure I think sometimes they're doing it out of love. I think sometimes they're just, they're just not a nice person, maybe. Right. Um, but I do think sometimes they're doing it out of love. You know, I mean, but they'll, they'll tell you, you know, if, if, you know, they'll tell you some pretty hard things. They might call you some hard names. Um, it'll, you know, if you, if you cross, if you cross grain with this doctrine, at least right now, it could cost you, it could cost you your position. It could cost you your church. But I guess at the end of the day, you need to ask yourself this question. What am I going to teach my kids? What am I going to teach my parishioners? What am I going to teach the people that sit in my pew? Yes. Am I going to teach them my best understanding of the truth? Or am I going to teach them something that 
you know what, I've got serious doubts or I know is wrong. And, you know, that's, that's a question you need to seriously ask yourself before God, I think. And, you know, I, I, I just, you know, you don't have to come to my conclusions, but at the end of the day, stand before your people, stand before your family, stand before God saying, you know what, I'm doing my best to teach, to preach, to believe what I believe to be the Bible truth. Well, David, I, I don't want to hold you too long. I, I could talk to you all night about this thing. This is, I think you probably present the most well thought out rebuttal to it that I've ever come across. It's interesting because I've, I've read through some of the articles and stuff that you post online, and a lot of times they get a little over my head. <laughs> but in the con- like in this conversation tonight, you've been able to to break it down to, I mean, our our podcast called Hillbilly Broadcast. You know, we're not known for being. <laughs> Exactly, a bunch of intellectuals. But you've been able to break it down so well. You present a a well-thought-out, and you you can tell just by listening to you, this is not something you just woke up uh, yesterday and decided to start hollering about. And so at at any time that you want to come back on, as far as I'm concerned, you've got an open invitation. This is is great. One thing I do want to mention to you before before we wrap it up, I think the first time that me and you ever um, wrote back and forth was after we did a podcast uh it's getting close to a year ago now talking about the the chm and you you wrote to me and you said i think that people may i forget exactly how you worded it in other words people might take it more seriously if you had somebody on to that believes that way to kind of uh present their side of it do you think that that is is that something that because we've just talked about their lack of debate do you think there's a possibility that that any of them would be willing to do something like that? Um, it, you know, it's it's a possibility. I don't know. I offered that opportunity to a number of people. I've never had anybody take me up on it yet. Um, is it a possibility? Yeah, it's you know anything's a possibility. <laughs> I've had a few people on that I've interviewed and we've talked about different things, but never really got too deep into the the two works, um, the specific specificity. There we go. I got it out, of the two <laughs> works side. So. Um, and that's really where, you know, that's where the debate needs to happen. We're not talking about, do you believe in holiness? We're not talking about, do you believe in sanctification? We're not talking about, do you believe in living in sin? We're not talking about all of that. We're talking about, do you believe sanctification, holiness, the, the filling of the spirit happens in and only in a second definite work of grace? That is the question. And, you know, I, it, it's interesting because I don't think, um, you know, I, I don't know that all of them really want to uh, embrace that, but that is the position of the movement at large. And so that is what needs to be dealt with right there. Well, in, in closing, I'll kind of give you the, the final word. I know you said that you have a web page, a website that you, you post some things on. You said you've, you've written some things. I think I've stumbled across some of them. Um, if you want to plug your website, also maybe places where people that are struggling with this could go look further. You know, some things that you think might help them in this, uh, in figuring this thing out. Sure, sure. Yeah. So I do, I, <laughs> I don't actually have a, um, like a full blown website. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I do have is I have a page on Facebook and, you know, if somebody hears this and you're not on Facebook for whatever reason, um, you know, just reach, reach out to me. I'd be happy to send you, uh, whatever information I can or reach out to Phil. He can get you in contact if you need, but sure. I have a page on Facebook. It's called biblical holiness. And that's a place where, you know, I, I put stuff out. I just put a book up by James Mudge, 
which if anybody's interested in this, I would strongly recommend you read this book by James Mudge, uh, Growth and Holiness Towards Perfection. It's a, I have a link on there. You can read it. It's free. Won't cost you anything. Um, so that's, you know, monetarily. <laughs> might take some time and who knows what else, but, you know, uh, it might cost you your position in the church. Who knows? But I recommend you read it and think about the case that he makes. Um, I have another one that's probably going to be coming out here fairly soon, hopefully, by J.M. Boland. That's, um, I think it's called The Problem on Methodism of Methodism. So that's another one that I would recommend. But yeah, Biblical Holiness, I can send you the link or something, or I can put it in the comments maybe when this when this goes out. Yeah, send me the link. We'll, we'll make sure to link to it there in the, in the episode notes. All right, you got it. David, I greatly appreciate it, man. Thank you very much. This, is, this has been great. All right. Well, thank you for having me, and I appreciate the invitation. Yes, sir. Good luck down there, man. Keep up the good work. Thank you. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.